0: It's only a kick, a
1: jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
2: How about this? At one point during your time in Notre Dame... You broke out the story of the
3: Scorpion trying to cross the river. Can you lay that one out for those who are not familiar with it, and how does it connect with what you want from a defense?
0: You know, it's really an organizational piece, and it's good and bad. The fact of the matter is um, we're going to believe what we see, and and if you're someone that, in a negative way, is going to sting, then, then you're not going to get on our back, and, and we're not going to swim you across the lake. Or the river, you know, where the scorpion couldn't swim, but the frog could. He talked the frog into allowing him to get on his back. The frog said, hey, you're going to sting me. Uh, Why would I do that? And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to sting you. I'm not going to sting you. Why would I do that? We'll both drown if I sting you halfway across. Sure enough, halfway across, the scorpion stung the frog. Now we're both going to die. Why'd you do that? He said, what do you mean? That's what I do. I'm a scorpion. I sting. Welcome
1: to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer.
3: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Hoping that Nebraska gives uh,
2: Diaco and Purdue the uh, strain this weekend.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was Bob Diaco, our favorite defensive coordinator, Also with Mac.
1: What's up, Redcasters? I'm here to blissfully talk about the 2 and one start for the basketball team this year. All right. (laughs) Fighting Fred Hoibergs. Here we go. Mac's always here
3: for his cutting-edge basketball insider info there. Also with Boomer.
0: Well, I just wanted the uh, Redcast listeners to know, uh, just in case, we were going to have a bunch of absences in some key roster spots this weekend due to positive tests. We did have a backup podcaster from our scout team ready to go, but luckily we didn't need him. We all came through, so we're good to go.
3: Boomer, you're not happen to be referencing the Denver Broncos having their scout team wide receiver randomly play quarterback on Sunday, are you?
0: Well, it's possible. (laughs) It probably would have worked out just as well had we done the same here.
3: Yeah, yeah. As a Broncos fan, watching uh, the starting quarterback go one for nine for 13 yards and having your running backs take more snaps than him, it was uh, an adventure, to say the least. And um,
0: Hey, in fairness, he did complete two passes to the other team, Dave. Yes,
3: that's true. Three <laughs> balls did not touch the ground. And, uh, you know, I, I don't quite understand why the Ravens get to delay their game every day until it's apparently you know two weeks later. But the Broncos had to play with the quarterback. But I digress. This is not a Broncos podcast, this is a Nebraska Corners podcast, so let's talk about the loss, a sixth loss in a row to the Hawkeyes of Iowa. Uh, hockey, you know, um, it's a rinse and repeat here, uh, we're so close in these games, uh, seems like there's different ways we can lose the exact same game over and over again. And in this one, we uh, have the ball with a minute and a half left on their side of the, the 50, uh, needing a touchdown and, uh, another turnover. Your thoughts.
2: Yeah. It's the most competitive game. I think we played against Iowa so far in the, the three game series with, uh, frost as the head coach. Uh, we lose the first two by three each. And this time we double it up and lose by six. Huh. Uh, We find every conceivable way to lose games. Yeah, we've got that down. Uh, I try to give credit to the opponent where where it's due, and Iowa did some things well in that game, and they deserve the win. At the same time, the amount of unforced errors from dropping punts to snapping the ball just wherever you want to snap it to, it just is absolutely mind-boggling. It just kills the team. It kills drives. We'll get into some of the discussion today on holding calls and not holding calls. I don't want to put all the blame on that yet. It is certainly a factor that we've seen now, not just in this game, but an ongoing uh, factor. So, you know, we've got to get better. We can't blame things like that on, on the refs. Uh, we have to give them reasons to, to get those calls. But uh, the the amount of mistakes that we made is just unbelievable. And, and Boomer, I, I know you'll probably have a little bit to talk with the, the special teams in there, too. It just... We find a way to lose a game, we'll find it.
1: No stone is left unturned (laughs) in that respect. Got to admire the creativity, if nothing else.
3: Yeah, it's like a checklist where you're actually just like, we're just knocking all these things off, and eventually we'll get to the end where we've done everything, and then we can start winning. Maybe that's it, right? Maybe we can turn the corner after we've completed our checklist of ways to lose a game.
2: Just think of the punting game alone in this. Not only did we drop the punt like I said, but Iowa kicked us down to the 1-yard line. Again, there that's where you give credit to them. They did something, you know, on their end to put us in a bad spot. We punted to them and got they had a big return in the first half. Just that one element alone, the punt and the punt return team. That's three plays where they completely flip fields on us yep. and then, you know, got the turnover. It's a killer. Exactly what
0: it is, you know, special teams, it's something we like to, you know, at least bring up here. Most times, sometimes it's in jest, but really it's not. I mean, it's such a critical part of the game, and it's so easy for everyone to overlook, you know, as fans, because it's not particularly exciting and, you know, sexy to to watch. And I think a lot of coaches even kind of forget about it. It's kind of one of those things that lots of head coaches, you know, they clearly want to spend more time with uh, the X's and O's, the recruiting. They've got all that on their mind. So a lot of times, I think it gets relegated to to staff who may be handling it, may not. Or if you're someone like Bruce Reed or the golf course, you know, so we've seen. And we've seen struggles with that for years here. And you, you said it. I mean, it kills games just as much as anything. Like you mentioned in that fourth quarter, we finally stopped him on a three and out. Had a decent punt, you know, for the game and flipped the field. Mm-hmm. And they put it back to us, and we gave it right back to him, and killed momentum. Yep. I mean, it, it cost us the game. We couldn't get good punt returns in this. I think we only averaged like one and a half yards total for our punt returns, so not great. You know, you're not winning many field you know, field position battles with that and it's things you have to win.
3: Right now we're not. Boomer, you know, hockey pointed out a couple of the bigger gaffes, right? But to your point of the little things, I mean it's it's to the degree where every other team in college football seems to be able to get a few touchbacks per game, right? But, I mean, we are so fearful that we can't get touchbacks because for some reason we cannot get a kicker out of the nine kickers we have on our roster to, to kick the ball through the end zone that we have to pooch kick so we don't have uh, Smith-Marset um, return another kickoff on us. And so, I mean, Iowa was getting their drive started at the 32-33 yard lines without any effort whatsoever, right? I mean, that that's – Something that I mean it's just hard to believe we've yet to be able to fix that.
0: Yeah, and that's just another thing. I like can say when you're starting in your thirty two, how you don't have to go that far to even get yourself in field goal position with a competent kicker. So again, you're just seeding so much of the game at that point and it's it's just killers. So that's something that needs to be fixed, probably too late this season, but
3: Yeah, because that's by strategy we were doing that because we, we didn't feel like we could kick the ball deep enough to keep Iowa from potentially breaking one. And that, that's really frustrating that we simply just don't have someone on the roster that can kick that far.
2: You know, I joked during the game that our kicker is more consistent at hitting the 30 with that pooch kick than Dave and I are hitting the yellow greens at Top Golf. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he can just drop it on the 30 every time. And to that credit, I mean, I guess that takes a lot of accuracy and skill. But dang, you know, we got to... <laughs> We got to get, you know, a a kick every once in a while to go into the end zone. It would be nice. But, you know, I look at there's good things that we do, and then they get followed up by the bad. I mean, our rush defense was outstanding in this Mm -hmm. game. I mean, they had like, I I can't remember the exact stat, 50 yards if that rushing at halftime. And and we had to have them change even their offense a little bit. Their quarterback started getting more into the run game in the second half because they couldn't get things going with just a regular rush game. And so we played really solid run defense. But Iowa also converted third and eleven, third and ten, third and eight. Go figure, right? Again, give credit where credit is due. They converted these long third downs on us, and they keep possessions going. They they score. Um, You know, on offense, our first offensive series, we had a shotgun snap fumbled right away. We Mm -hmm. had two more later in that first half, and actually, total credit to Martinez that final touchdown drive where we had to overcome those snapping issues, and he did it. You know, And then they made the change at center. And then, Mac, you and I at halftime, I remember I'm calling you up. I'm in Columbus over the weekend. And by the end of that discussion, it's like, well, we love Juergens, but that's the end for him this year. He's done. He's not going to be a center the rest of this year. You cannot have an offense if you can't snap the ball to the quarterback. And sure enough, because we're always right about things, he comes right back out there in the second half. But he has a great second half. There's not a single snap issue the whole second half. So I don't know what in the world was – Wrong in the first. We're hearing about claps from the sideline. You better. You got to get over that stuff. I'm tired of excuses of claps. Yeah, we from can't out.
1: be. We can't be thwarted by clapping. Well, you know what I mean. Like that seems <laughs> it is like an empty stadium. You know. Yeah, that just seems like a, a bad discipline. It's like, hey, hey guess what? <laughs> you know, like that's we found their kryptonite. Well, boys. I said. I said it that's last no week. Good. At some point, you if
2: you can't snap the ball for whatever the reason then get under center, right? If you have communication errors and you can't get lined up right, then maybe slow things down. Get into a huddle if you need to. Those are just suggestions, right? I look at the end there where we had a minute 40 something left and we're driving on them and I felt like we were in the biggest rush and we were you know, getting up to the, to the line of skirmish quick and we're trying to move as fast as we can. I'm like, guys, slow down. We've got a time out. You have all the time in the world. You're at the 45-yard line or whatever it was. The last thing we want to do is score a touchdown with a minute left. And I just felt like we were trying to move at hyper pace, or at least we get up to the line of scrimmage as fast as we can. And guess what? Every time we get into that kind of mode, mm. I just feel like that's when we have mistakes, mm. gaffes, somebody misses a block, somebody doesn't line up right, whatever it is, communication errors, you call it what it is. And it's there's moments in time where... We just, I feel like we just need to slow down. We're a young team. The the stat that they showed there uh, during the game, that by total offense, by freshmen in the Big Ten, right now we're second, 206.5 yards a game. That's second in the Big Ten. By comparison, Iowa had 9.4 yards a game, which is 13th. So we're a young team. Maybe young teams need to slow down. Maybe young teams need to huddle. Maybe young teams need to just, we can't outthink or outsmart ourselves sometimes. I, and I don't know what that all is.
3: So, I mean, some of that is, you know, whether you're fully in on the youth movement or you're trying to win games right now, right? And it feels like we're in the in between. Sam McEwen had an article about this today where it's just like, you know, what are you really trying to do there? And I, I get what you're saying, Hawk. I didn't personally feel like they were that hurried um, on that drive. I didn't feel like they were doing anything unusual. And, you know, I mean... It's always hindsight's twenty twenty. If they are sure. suddenly not managing the clock and suddenly running out of time, you'd be you know complaining about that too. So I, I think that's that's a tough one. I understand where you're coming from, but you know I mean they they got to execute at some point. And um, the funny thing is they did that at the end of the first half. It was a two minute drive there, sure, with two bad snaps that they somehow over overcame and had a successful touchdown drive. So they had even done it in the game um, in a hurry up manner. Um, They just didn't do it at the end of the game when ultimately it it counted.
2: Now, as far as positives go, again, I was impressed with that defense, especially the run defense. I thought that they held up very well a week after giving up 200-yard rushers to Illinois. Uh, It was a bounce-back game, even in a loss, that I wanted to see from this team because if this team went out and got beat up physically by Iowa one week after the disappointing loss to Illinois, oh, I think that would just leave a terrible taste in your mouth of, like, where – everything's going wrong Mm -hmm. in this program. Now we're not even physical. Well, that wasn't the case. We were physical. I was so impressed with Daniels at nose tackle. I mean, I wish that guy could play more snaps at a time because, man, he was so big. He was so powerful. Uh, There were some holding calls against him that were not called for what it's worth, but um, so impressed with him. So impressed with Colin Miller on the sidelines going around and cheering for the guys and playing the role of captain, even though he couldn't suit up. I thought that was great. And, again, we got to see some young guys making plays. Bets got in there yep. a little bit. It's just – there's just never enough. Whatever it is, the, the things you like, there just isn't enough of that. And at the end of the day – I feel like I've said that phrase a thousand times on this show. But at the end of the day, it ends up an L. Mm-hmm. And it leads to hot seat talks and
1: all those things that we're going to get to that –
2: we just need to win. We just need to win. We need
1: to beat Purdue. We just need a win. You get done with that game. It's yet another game. As a Husker fan, you walk away going, well, Iowa didn't beat us. We beat ourselves again. And it's you just get so exhausted of that conversation. You get so exhausted trying to find excuses. You get so exhausted of trying to point all the good things out. And you just want to see us put our best ball on the field and then see what that looks like. Yep. Iowa, to their credit, is a good team. They're pretty disciplined. They made mistakes. Their quarterback wasn't super accurate. Nope. They, they, they had some balls tipped up in the air. Did we intercept those balls? No. That's what we never do. We never convert on the plays that are up for grabs. We don't make those happen. Instead, we drop punts at crucial times. We let a punt drop down to our two at crucial times. Or we get a hold at a horrible time. We didn't even have that many penalties this game. We just have them at the worst possible time. We are incredibly inconsistent in most things, but we are horribly consistent (laughs) on that fact. We make the worst mistakes at the worst possible time. And I don't know what to make out of that. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that says about the team, the coaching staff, the program. I don't know. All I know is... We're about five million podcast in, and we've covered about three wins so far. And I can't; it's hard. It's so hard. I really. I'm starting to talk. I think we should switch this to a volleyball basketball podcast. (laughs) I really am.
3: Well, let's. uh, We'll we'll talk a little Husker basketball. I think later in the show here, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, put on our scarlet colored glasses.
1: And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. Uh, We did a study this week, and our drives where we don't have a a penalty, a bad snap, or a turnover, uh, we've scored on over 90% of those drives, and we've just had far too many. The snaps last week hurt us. Uh, Four or five of those when you're only getting 63 plays in a game uh, is about 10% of your offensive snaps, and it puts us behind the eight ball, puts us in third and longs. Cam cares as much as anyone on the team, so he wants to get it fixed. And uh, we'll do whatever we have to to make sure that we're getting it better.
3: All right. Uh, we're putting on our scarlet colored glasses, talking all things Husker football. And uh, let's uh, take a look at this world of social media, Hunk. You know, what are people talking about the Huskers? Well, Dr.
2: Petey, Derek Peterson, uh, we've been on his show, the Varsity Club Podcast, a couple times. And uh, he threw out, I thought, an interesting thing today on Twitter – uh, in terms of preventing touchdowns once opponents reach the red zone, the Huskers' defense ranks 21st nationally, which is out. You know, I think that's really pretty good. It it's as I. definitely an improvement on previous years. Problem is, in terms of scoring touchdowns once we reach the red zone, NU offensively ranks 125th nationally. Uh, Boomer, uh, I'm not a math magician, but 125th <laughs> doesn't sound very good. <laughs>
0: No, it, it's really not. Uh, what are there? 127 teams, I think, in in Division <laughs> I might One. Maybe up to 130 so. these days. Yeah, maybe 130 yeah, somewhere around there. So it, it's not it's not good. It's not what you want. <laughs> but at least we can make up that with explosive big plays, so you don't even have to mess with the red zone, oh. right?
2: No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess on one side we see progress, right? The defensive the side bend don't break, right? Yeah, the bend don't break isn't isn't breaking or at least leak a little. And then on offense, we're having problems. And, and the audio that we heard coming into Scarlet Glasses. Frost talked about how we score in over 90% of those drives where we don't have the fumble snaps or the big penalty. But if we're finishing 125th nationally, that's telling us that we're having too many drives that are having all those things.
3: That's absolutely right. And um, it's, it's maddening. I mean, I, you know, the ben Hart hold, for example, um, was really frustrating, right? That was an important drive. Adrian rips off a big run, right, Mac. And you see the replay, and you're like, he didn't even need to do that, you know. And it's just so frustrating. And the fact that we have what was it, ten holding calls against us already this year, and yeah, in five five games, something like that. That's crazy. And we don't have one opponent um, having a holding call on them against us. It is maddening, but it feels like they're all self inflicted wounds, right? You know.
2: That's another piece of social media there. That was from our friends over at the Huskies. You know, talking about through five games, 341 plays, we've been called for 10 holding penalties. In 377 defensive snaps, NU opponents have not been called for one, not one single holding penalty. And when you double that with the fact that you go back to 2018 when Minnesota had a penalty, a holding penalty against us, and that was the first time in 21 Big Ten conference games that a holding penalty had been called on us, it just gets to be ridiculous. I'm not sitting here saying it's the reason why we – Lost any game, any specific game, but it is one of Mm -hmm. those stats that is just mind boggling. And then it makes you get overly sensitive when you see it happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are multiple times that Damian Daniels got held on place. Sometimes it was a game or play changing kind of hold. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it wasn't really anything that had a big deal with it, right? But he's getting held. Mm -hmm. And damn it, if you're going to call it on us every time, especially every time, like when Adrian goes and runs and now we're getting things called back, I mean, Damian Daniels gets taken down to the ground on their first touchdown pass when they go up 10-0. Could it have been called a holding penalty? It could have. Did it have to be? No, but I guarantee Goddamn tell you, if it happened to us, it would have been called a holding penalty. I am at that point now. And a week ago, after coming off the Illinois game, where we had eight points taken off the field, a touchdown and a two-point conversion to holding penalties, that I've seen the other teams do exactly to us. The exact same plays. I can come and find similar things where they just didn't get called. So, do we beat Iowa if holding calls are called? I'm not... Yes. I'm not. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. yes! Would we have beaten Ohio State? Yes! <laughs> would we have won the title it, it, a year ago? Yes!
3: <laughs> hey, Mac, from a X and O standpoint, from a coaching perspective, it'd be my understanding that we would likely send things into the Big Ten um, officials every week on saying, hey, here are calls we think you got wrong or right or that, you know, explain how this didn't get called, et cetera. Do you think they're doing that on that? Or is it just Big Ten's got a big mute mute button on us right now? And they won't even listen to us complain about, you know, us getting a holding call. And Because I, the question I guess I have is, th- does somehow these teams do a better job of disguising their holds so that they get away with it?
1: I guarantee that Frost and company are sending the cut-ups of that to the Big Ten. Uh, I just don't know how much the Big Ten wants to hear from us. I feel like, we, you know, we've made our bet a little bit with this conference and and, and our squeakiness. And you know, you, <laughs> even on the sideline, you heard Frost give an earful to that <laughs> to that official. You know, I kind of like this. No fans in the stands for that simple fact alone. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, and people will say, you know, be better, and these these calls won't affect you. And, and I agree, but right now we're not better. We're marginal. But those margins can be sometimes accentuated by a bad call here and there. When the games you're losing are by a possession or less, or less, or possession, you know, then those critical holding calls, critical penalties at at horrible times will cost you games. Make no mistake, they can cost you games.
2: Well, Mac, there's on Facebook, we had a guy respond to us. And he said, you know, the 95 Nebraska Huskers didn't have a single holding call the whole year. Do you think they didn't have a, a holding call? Because the great teams don't get yeah. called for the next They also that had stuff. no targeting calls. Well, and I, my response to him was, well, <laughs> my, my response to him was, well, we haven't played the 95 Huskers yeah. this year. No, no offense to Iowa or Illinois or Northwestern or quite honestly, even Ohio State this year. <laughs> Those teams are holding at times. And the point is to this entire conversation is that it never gets called. And with us, it sometimes get called. I'm not saying we're getting an obnoxious amount of calls on us. I think you know, basically, less than three percent of our plays have been called holding plays. When you have 300 and some total plays and only 10 holding, right? That's not an obnoxious number, but a zero on the other side is obnoxious. Yeah. And when it went for 21 straight games at zero, that's obnoxious. Um,
1: so that's all. We're just, ask, all I'm we're just asking on. for consistency. That's it. Sure. I mean, if if the plays that we got called holding for were holds, okay. But you can't say that no team hasn't held us this year. Because I can show you. There's there's plenty of plays that sure. you could be shown that they were holding calls. And could holding be called on every play? Yes, I get that. But it's not being called at all on our team. Now, is that because we are considered a team that doesn't have a good pass rush and therefore we're not getting held because we have we have no ability to get to the pass or get to the passer? I don't believe that. I truly don't believe that. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy against Nebraska. I'm not willing to go that far. But when the stats start stacking up the way they have, it begs the question. I mean, at some point, you have to look at that and go, "Well, that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense." And I don't know if I, if you, if you unpack the rest of the nation's numbers, if there's another team that's gone this many games that yeah. haven't had a whole call on them. You know, redcasters out there, I know. Doug, you're out there. You're always unpacking stats. Go ahead and not to give you an assignment, but if you want to uh, check around the nation and see if there's any team that's gone that many games without a holding call in their favor, because I'd be curious to find out if that's if that's common or uncommon or not, because it feels like it's pretty Husker centric.
0: Yeah, I was just kind of looking at the the Big Ten stats for penalties for the year, just kind of comparing it. Uh, you know, penalties called on Nebraska. We're currently at 33 for the year, which puts us at third in the conference. It's not super egregiously out of line with everybody else. Uh, the most penalized team in the league is Rutgers, who's had 53 called on them already, so good job there, Shianos. Um, but they, they've had six games. Michigan has 35 at six, Maryland has 32 at four. You know, Illinois, Michigan, State, Purdue all have 31. So. The actual number getting called on us isn't that bad, but it's interesting to see the opponent penalties. There's only been 20 penalties called on our opponents, and that's third from the bottom. Maryland has had 15, and Wisconsin's only had 10, but they've only played, you know, a couple games. So, yeah, it certainly seems that when teams play Nebraska, they don't get flagged a whole heck of a lot. But uh, I don't think they're flagging Nebraska any more so than, than anyone else. But, yeah, they're certainly giving Nebraska opponents the benefit of the doubt.
1: I would tend to agree with that. At just at the service, I don't necessarily think we're getting called for penalties that aren't there. I mean, the holds, you know, it's 50-50 on some of them. But for the most part, I've seen the holds that they call us for, I would say yeah. that they're there. And, and But I'm specifically talking about holds. Either. I mean, we obviously have made some penalties. That late hit out of bounds that Reimers had in the first drive was ridiculous. I couldn't yeah. believe he hit that. I was waiting for that hit to be on the kicker. Like save that for the kicker, <laughs> but, but we didn't. We smoked a running back or whoever it was. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Dave, the the last piece of social media was Dan Wedsell, but we could have picked a number of other people. That the hot seat talk is starting to come for Frost now, and so it, it, I didn't even bother reading, or I don't know if it was a podcast. He was, but point is, on one of his things, uh, you know, Frost's name obviously came up on the hot seat, and I. Cannot overstate how ridiculously stupid that is right now. Frost is not going anywhere. He's in year two of a seven-year contract right now because they extended that after the first year anyways. So he's not going anywhere. We don't need that right now. We're two years and five games into him um, when you really put it into perspective. And there's the progress. And there's, look, from a strength standpoint, I mean, we just held up really well against Iowa. We just need to stop making mistakes that kill us at times. That's the thing with our penalties too. And I don't know what One the, of the st- mistakes we're
1: making is firing coaches.
2: It, that's not going to help us right now to start over. I've even heard you know people are talking about coordinators and position coaches. Why do people always think it's always the grass is greener on the other side? This guy isn't catching the ball well, so fire that receiver coach and bring in the new guy. And then this guy isn't playing defensive backs coach well, so fire him and bring in the new guy. And typically speaking, what you end up having is the next year. That's a transition year with that new guy, right? There's your excuse a year from now when we're struggling at that position because well, we're learning how this guy does mm-hmm. it. And it's always constantly a learning thing. At some point, we just need to play well with the players that we have yeah. and, and the coaches get the frog that we have. And
1: the scorpion situation <laughs> with a with a <laughs> defensive coordinator that's so confident in his scheme that he runs a four three in your spring game. You know, I mean, I I,
3: I hear what you're saying there, Hawk, and I'm not in, in favor of exchanging anyone uh, from the coaching staff out right now. But it, I mean, there's other coaches out there that have quite a bit of turnover with their assistant coaches because of the the level of success they have, right? Sure. Uh, And they always seem to be able to bring new assistants in and the level of play doesn't drop off, right? And so, you know, there is something to say about the, the head coach and the culture that he has developed and established that allows and um, the assistant coaches to come and go, right? And so, I mean, that's where we have to think about from a longevity standpoint, the duration of, of the uh, program It needs to start at the top, and that stability. And then the other coaches, and that all, all plays itself out.
2: You can have different philosophies on that. I mean, look at two of the most successful programs there are right now, Alabama and Clemson. And from a coaching staff continuity perspective, you couldn't have two different philosophies. Mm -hmm. I mean, Saban burns through coaches, you know, just like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But then you look at Dabo and Dabo has done everything he can to keep that staff and that continuity together. I mean, Venables, you know, is a $2 million plus a year defensive coordinator that could have been a head coach five years ago if he wanted to. And he has stayed there. And when I look at Between those two examples, let's just say Saban and Dabo, and can Nebraska choose a philosophy to pick, I would pick the Dabo one every time. I've seen it work here, obviously, under Devaney and Osborne, a continuity of things, coaches that stick around year after year. I think that's important from a recruiting standpoint. We're going to talk in a second here about roster management and losing some kids, and especially now we're losing kids from a very – Concentrated area of the country, it seems, an area that's 1,500, 2,000 miles away from here. I think having a staff that sticks together and, and really solid relationships formed with coaches, especially in their 500 mile radius, I, I think it's important to have that kind of consistency year in and year out here, as opposed to switching out coaches here, you know, year and year and year again. Yeah. I just, I'm just thinking in Nebraska's specific case, that's what I'd want to see. If I was at USC or if I was at Texas or Alabama, if I was at a school where I had every five- and four-star kid just, you know, tripping over our door Mm -hmm. because they're so close, um, maybe that's a different thing. But Nebraska,
1: I think that continuity is important. we got to stop with the hot seat talk. And I get get all the frustration out there. But if if it's coming from Twitter, I mean, I'm just going to start treating Twitter like a spoiled child. I'm not going to give it any attention. And in 10 minutes, it's going to get over it and move on to the next thing. I just—it's just not worth the time, and and frankly, Frost is the right guy. He's the right guy right now, and everybody sees all the struggles, and everybody has good points to make about discipline and this and that. And it's—it's it's not just offense, but it's defense and the special teams, and I get all that too. But it's just pointless to start talking about hitting the reset button on all this crap and doing this all over again. I'm not interested. Uh, We're not going to find a better guy right now that's interested in this program, especially if we detonate it after the third year of bringing home the savior of the program. Go find that guy and, and, and sell that story.
2: I've had angry Husker fans on social media respond to us, our show. Where it's, oh, you're just defending this guy. It's, you'd be yeah, firing him if I it wasn't am. Frost, all, you know, if it wasn't Correct. the Nebraska guy. I'm like, who do you think we are? We're a fan podcast, for Christ's yeah. sakes Like, we're as big of fans as you guys are. We're just fans. We're not getting paid to do this separately. We're not employed by the athletic well, department. we're not getting paid? Yeah. We're not employed by the athletic department to do this. We're as big of fans. We're spending more time on this, I guarantee goddamn to you, than Ooh. you are. Yeah. Every week, do you know how hard it is to do this show every week and talk about this stuff? But you know what? I mean, I mean, come on! Firing this guy right now, or firing half of the coaching staff and all that, because that's going to make you feel better. Well, give me a break! Or, or there's no progress being made. Look, I mean, we can we try to get detailed down to specifics. We will talk about holding calls. Or we will talk about very specific things. But at the end of the day, it, there is more progress. That is a different loss we had to Iowa. In year three of Frost than what we had in year three of Riley. I hope everyone can can agree with that.
3: Yeah. Or, or, or year one of Frost, right? I mean, huge differences yes. from the line perspective. Sure. I
2: mean, we, we're not getting pushed
1: around. Look, we've got to clean up certain mistakes. There's just no other way around it. Sometimes it's just you've got to, I guess, I guess for Nebraska, we just have to wade through this muck and come out the other side. I don't know what else to tell anybody. I mean, I'm I'm as frustrated as anybody out there. Yeah. It, it gets exhausted watching these games. I went I went in watching that Iowa game thinking of hope we don't get embarrassed because of how bad we played against Illinois. Yep. And had we beat Illinois, I probably would have been happier with the performance at Iowa initially. But yeah. we didn't, and so I was already in a funky mood about it. And then we kind of we play the game, and they jump out 10 to nothing. And then we fight back, and Adrian's playing better. But I'm at the time, I'm like, wow, we're not... Rah, rah. You know, I'm just kind of sure. watching the game like that. But they, the Husker blooded me. They sucked me into the game, and I start watching. I start enjoying the game again. You know, I, I see all the progress. I We started re-watching the game when we got over here. I can see all of the momentum we could potentially have if we could just stack some wins and get going in a certain direction. So do I think... Anybody needs to be fired? No. And if somebody needs to be fired, I'm going to let the coach decide that. Because it's beyond stupid to think we need to start looking for another coach. It's just super, super stupid. I need to really drive that point home. (laughs) You don't need to at me with any of it because I don't care.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the, you said, you know, how dumb Twitter can be sometimes, and Boomer and I especially, uh, we get to see it because we're the ones on it the most. Although, we are all now, Redcasters, we are all on Twitter. Uh, we have Dave Redcast, uh, Redcast Boomer, Redcast Honky, and Voodoo GBR is Mac. And check out my MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it, that's one of the worst things. You, you get done with a loss like that. It sucks. You get on Twitter, and then you've got Nicole Arbach throwing bombs at us about, you know, should we – the team that wants to play, you know, is uh, one and four a week after. Careful what you wish for, crowd. Walkin was saying it a week. Who? I mean, some of those things you just ignore. Just you have to ignore because there's actual real things to be concerned about. Those things aren't it. I mean, those things mm. aren't going to help or hurt us down the road. I don't know if this is going to help or hurt us, Dave. But roster management. Uh, we've had some turnover here just literally in the last couple of we- days now, and you're going to find a little bit of a consistency here. One of them is we've had two players from the same high school in Florida. Uh, Ronald Delancey, he has gone into the transfer portal. And then just today was announced that wide receiver Marcus Fleming has. Um, that's in addition to uh, last week, 2021 defensive back recruit Ladarius Webb Jr. He announced that he's backing off his commitment. All right. So guys backing oh, off commitments, stuff that happens all the time. The Florida thing. I mean, we're, that's a bit of an interesting thing because we're at a point now where, I mean, gosh, I can't even think if we've got Florida kid that's still around from the last class. Maybe we have one or two. I don't know. But point is we had a, a large group from that, and most of them are gone now. Hmm. We had a number of questions. I'm just going to consolidate them all. Kel the Coach, Coworker Eric, Eminem on Facebook, kind of two things, and I'll ask this to you, Dave, just in general Why are these Florida recruits leaving? And is this just because it's 2020, it's a tough year? Or is there something else other than that that we should be worried about?
3: Well, I mean, 2020 is a a tough year. (laughs) Good point there. (laughs) Uh, We can all agree on that, right? Um, So I I think that does have an impact. I mean, you have a situation here where a lot of these kids might have showed up in in January or maybe over the summer um, when the pandemic had already hit and um just their ability to connect with the coaches and then experience what Lincoln is. Some of these guys, I thought it was unusual. Mac, if you remember, um a lot of these guys, we didn't know that much about until signing day last year. And it seemed like Travis Fisher did some real work down there in South Florida and got several of these guys late in the game. And I don't know how many of them had even visited, you know. And now they come up here and they... You have an empty stadium. You don't have people in classes. Uh, it's just a very weird situation. So I think that it's a combo. Yes, it's a weird 2020, but you also have a situation where you have a bunch of those Florida kids who really maybe didn't have a chance to connect with their coaches um, over a long recruiting period. One of the Florida kids that are still in the program, uh Taman Lynam, uh, was an early commit in the 2020 class. That's the, the signing in December 2019 class, however you like to call it yep. these days. Um, he was with, uh, in that class for a long time, and he's still here, right? The other guys come in late, and it's a different story. So I, I think that's a big part of it is how strong of a relationship mm-hmm. they have with the coaching staff.
2: I think that's a great point. You know, Mac, uh, we have a question here. Kel, the coach, asks, do you think coaches should change up their approach to recruiting? And is there something that they can be doing different? You know, he mentions that this is a small sample size but, you know, that we're having some trouble. It seems to keep those Florida guys here. And, uh, you know, do we keep hammering down there? Or do we try to spend some valuable time elsewhere?
1: I mean, I get the concern with with the number of Florida players that we've had issues keeping on campus. You know, your first year is a transition year, and you're going to lose a lot of those guys anyway. The second year, we're not super successful, and now we've got a pandemic. And the pandemic throws a whole bunch into it, right? You're now you're now miles and miles away from family. It's not easy to travel. You're not interacting with the student body. There's nobody in the stadium. You've got your games cut down to nothing. It it is it is challenging. And if you haven't had a chance to connect or with the, with the team the way you normally would, it's going to be more difficult. I I think some of it is, and that's not just Florida guys. I think it's just kind of. Uh, the way that recruiting works these days. And this isn't an indictment on young kids. It's just the way that we, you know, as fans have demanded information. And by demanding information, we kind of turn celebrities into these high school kids before they've done anything. And so they, you create these these kids that, I don't want to call them entitled, but, you know, when you're the man and you're shown that you're the man on your recruiting trips and, you know, got you stars behind your name, you expect things to happen quickly. And I feel like a lot of these guys, when they get to a place, don't realize how actual difficult it is to play college football. And it's a culture. It's a culture issue, too. You know, you come from Florida to Nebraska. It's a different game. We're getting closer to the colder time of the year. You're going to have issues with that, too. Do we need to change our our approach to how we recruit? I wouldn't say that we don't need to. I yeah. mean, I think, but I do think also if you look at it, if you look at this most recent recruiting class, we kind of have. I mean, we've got a lot more regional depth in this most recent recruiting class. Maybe that's out of necessity because of the dead period's been so extended. Sure, but but you really need to vet. These out-of-state kids, particularly the kids in the South or maybe in the, the, you know, the West Coast, you know, and say, "What are you interested? Are you interested in being recruited? Are you interested in playing ball? And are you interested in getting better? You know, like, and and that's easy to say, you know. And I'm sure in the recruiting trips they probably say the same things, but it's hard to bring a kid from big cities from the coastal. You know, states and bring them the middle of America when you can't even show them the advantages that Nebraska really has, which is a full stadium and a rabid fan base and just like this passion that goes into Husker football. That's all been taken away from me. I'm willing to put this 2020 class as a one off, mm-hmm. although I, at the 2021 class, it's going to be weird for a few years, guys, because we're going to have people committing this year that have had tr- haven't been to the university they're committing to. The transfer portal is going to be the wild, wild west. We're not going to be the only university dealing with this. So maybe we can reap the benefits of picking some, some, some guys off the transfer portal.
2: Yeah, and I don't know. In general, the transfer portal stuff, as time goes on, we'll see. There's a few Joe Burrows out there, but there's a lot that aren't. In fact, more times than not, it's crazy how we see kids. I don't care if they were three or four stars or whatever. They leave and they end up going somewhere else, and they go to a Florida Atlantic or they go to a group of five somewhere, or they're not that successful. I mean, look at J.D. Spielman. You know, the guy could have stuck around here a senior year and literally walked away with some record, book, you know, records in the record book. It's not as easy just transferring yeah. somewhere and just playing, right? I think Dave hit on a a good point about you get some of those guys that have been in the recruiting class longer, and those guys that have been in it longer, they tend to be parts of text chains, right? You always hear about that, how five or six recruits, and you become buddies with guys long before you ever get on the campus, long before, in some cases, you have even really met each other in person. And if you haven't been that, if you were a guy, I think it was Francois was the guy that was rocking back and forth on signing day about was he even going to come here. If you're having those issues on signing day, it doesn't shock me. That, that is never a good that sign. It's, it's not it's a. It's a never yeah. a good sign. And the transfer portal thing. You know, we'll get some, we'll lose some, but I almost never see it really work well. At least it hasn't for us. I haven't seen I haven't seen a guy that we've lost that I've that has really hurt there,
3: us. Yeah, there's
1: another And I've one never seen a guy that we've
2: got that has just been like you know unbelievable.
3: You know, Greg Bell actually is the one I, I've noticed is having a really really good year at San Diego State actually, mm-hmm. and so that's interesting because I mean he didn't look like he had anything in the tank for us, and now he is dropping hundred yard gains and games and scoring touchdowns for the Aztecs mm-hmm. with ease. So that, that that's a frustrating one because boy, we could sure use a running back like that, right? And now. it was
2: funny because Mac and I were at that first spring practice when he was playing. And I remember we watched him go out there and he didn't look fast. He mm-hmm. he didn't look good. Mac and I kinda like shook our head at each other. We're like, this was the number one Juco in the country. Like it like, really? I mean a Zigbo by far looked like the best back on the field that spring ball. And that only got only became truer as we went through the spring game and then into the season. I will say one thing from a strategical standpoint, and this goes back to being in a 500-mile radius, but I really do think that we need to keep hitting on Kansas City and St. Louis for some of that skill talent. I think it does reduce some of the cultural change when you're – from an area where you can drive home yeah, when you're sure. from an area where cold isn't it, the first time you've seen snow yeah. those yeah. kinds of St. things St. Louis
3: is a mystery though for us for some reason
1: right we've been trying to crack that forever 100% and Trent that Ryan. really is that really is if we could get into St. Louis if we can get a foothold into St. Louis whoever whoever the next coach that we get you know because of attrition or whatever if we could get some kind of foothold in St. Louis there is so much talent in that town Yeah, that's where
2: Kenny Wilhite's from. I know he. They try. I mean, it's not a. I I know. I know we've
1: tried, and for some reason, there's just. You know, Ohio State's big in St. Louis. Sure. You know, and, and, that and could it, be the one, reason. You know, well, it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help. Trey Bryant, though, he was from St. Louis, and that guy was on pace to be a very good player for us until his yeah. knees, you know, ran out of cartilage.
2: And it's not just St. Louis. You think about KC. You know, we used to really dominate getting kids out of that area, too. Yeah, Brian
1: Held, fantastic KC athlete. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, like, Mike Rucker, you know, was obviously from St. Joe area and everything. Well, a couple years ago, we were – Closing in on what was it Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker that was yeah, for Clemson yeah. and ends up going to Clemson and you know ends up being first round pick. Now, would he have been a first round pick if he came to Nebraska? Or yes. would we have played him at linebacker? Or would we have found a way to <laughs> just like Joe Hater. Burrow would have won a
1: Heisman if he would have come to Nebraska? Exactly,
2: exactly. But the point is it's important for Nebraska to get back into those areas too. This is where I've had a guy ask me, is Frost met your expectations? And that's a loaded question because If you're literally leaving it just wins and
1: losses, no.
2: He has not met the expectations. I mean, my
1: expectations can go through the roof so quickly. But but my expectations of
2: a lot of things – I have a lot of expectations. One of them, I don't want to see a team getting pushed around on the field. And for the most part, I think he's met the expectation of getting this team to that point. I don't want to see kids just leaving the state because we're not offering them. He has met that expectation. I was told that the walk-on program is dead and can never be alive again because kids will never give up money to have to pay to play – well, my expectations have been met with that. But when it comes down to wins and losses, and that's ultimately what is most I mean, important, yes, that expectation has it is not been it met is, yet. It
1: is funny when it boils down. It's wins and losses. I mean, people people talk about like how much we want this culture and how important the walk-on program is and how important in-state players are. But really, it's just wins and losses. Yeah. I mean, that's really all people Dude, care about because we've nailed every uh, – as far as Frost. He's nailed every everything. other metric, right? You know, we're getting stronger. We're getting bigger. Nutrition. Doug El- or Ellis is in here. and. It's everything except the wins and losses, and that's really all that people yeah, right. care about. And I'm
2: not arguing. I agree. Sure. But Jim Ross, former Nebraska assistant under Devaney, um, he was with Devaney at Wyoming, and Devaney won games there, and he won games playing Wyoming kids. The The fans loved him. When he left Wyoming, he could have been the governor of that state. What was funny is Jim Ross, I remember watching a thing where he talked about, you know, Devaney goes, well, that's great if you win. Now, if you lose with Wyoming kids, they'll fire you just the same. And that's (laughs) the truth, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think Frost is building the program in all the ways that we have said all along we want to see it get built. We just need some wins, guys. And that starts this weekend. Honestly, it starts this weekend with Purdue. We just need to get wins under the belt get losses and that taste of that loss out of our mouth, and we just need to win some games, finish the season strong.
3: Yeah, and it's
1: out there. And now, Nebraska basketball. Yeah, I, I thought that the starting
0: group that we had uh, the other night against or the other afternoon against North Dakota State just put up huge numbers with plus minus, uh, you know, those lineup shifts that we have out there. Uh, Those guys are outstanding with that, so you can you can see it. They're developing a nice chemistry. Uh, You know, we're still we've had good production. Kobe Webster gave us a couple really good games uh, out there. Ivan, uh, you know, still needs to finish better, but he's given us good minutes with his with his body. Uh, uh, The other player off the bench, Shamil, uh, has given us a couple really good games as well. Uh, So you know, those really eight I guess that we're playing right now, uh, especially in the two wins that we've had, everybody's given us nice contributions.
2: All right, well, welcome back to Nebraska Ball. Uh, we're gonna flip the roles a little bit here. I'm gonna be the uh, the MC for this part here, All the right. host, so uh, so Dave can get back into his rightful spot of being the basketball expert on the show. Uh, Boomer will throw in some unbelievable statistics like he usually does, and <laughs> and Mac I know is gonna talk about our our wardrobe that we wear. Ugh. So, <laughs> get Dave me started. We're two and one. We've got a game tomorrow night against South Dakota. Brady Hyman, former Husker player. Uh, We'll be suiting up for the so Coyotes, is that yeah. correct? But we're 2-1, we've are made it through three games, we're starting to see a little bit of the, the new guys on the court, and uh, what's your impressions, I guess, so far?
3: Yeah, well, I am looking forward to the game tomorrow night, uh, we are 12-point favorites over those Coyotes of South Dakota, been favored in all three games, actually, we took care of business against McNeese State uh, handily there, that was a 100-point performance, and um, Came out the next day, uh, that was Thanksgiving versus Nevada, a little better competition, and uh, Nevada had learned a few things from, uh, I think, watching the Nice game, you know, the game tape, and uh, defended us a little bit better, kept us from actually uh, getting to the rim quite as easy, and we didn't hit the hit, hit the three-point shot as well in that game. Going 9 for
0: 41 from three-point range wasn't a recipe for success against Nevada. That is what
3: yeah. I'm saying, yes. 9 for 41 is not good. <laughs> is that from the free-throw line or the three-point line? That was the three-point line. <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, we looked a little tired in that game, though, I felt like, in the second half. Could not pull it out. We had it tied, and ultimately... Um, Gave up a three-point shot, very difficult shot, over Delano Banton. And then um, Banton couldn't make a, a three in return. Uh, so we lose on Thanksgiving Day, but come back um, and take care of North Dakota State on Saturday uh, for a 2 and one start. So, you know, I mean, a whole new roster, right, Honk? I mean, you have to learn mm-hmm. all these faces all over again. Uh, obviously, that's something tough to adjust to. I was a little disappointed that we didn't have... Barely any carryover. Really, it's mainly Thor and Yvonne, uh, who um, contributed to last year's team that's uh, still on this roster. Uh, but it's been a big upgrade in talent, and I think they fit Hoiberg's offense really well. It's going to be really interesting to see how these guys gel over the next couple of weeks, because Big Ten play is right around the corner.
2: Yeah, I think that the stat was we had 20% of our scoring offense back from a year ago basically just with Thor and and Yvonne, to your point. But there's some interesting characters that we have now on this team. Uh, You know, Teddy Allen out there, he's never met a shot he didn't like. Mm. That guy will shoot it from anywhere (laughs) at any time. And, you know, and he's aggressive and – you know, some of these shots I think are going to fall that he's had missed so far, and he's going to get better at the free throws. He was a ninety percent shooter in JUCO, and he hasn't started off that hot yet. But as aggressive as he is, he's going to get some fouls on him this year, and that's going to open up some opportunities. McGowan's the defense that he plays; he's we're three games in, but I mean, I'm seeing like bits of Cookie Belcher, and you know, some of that's those. That's a def- good
3: comparison, Honk. I like that. Oh
2: my gosh, he is all over the whoever he's covering. And I mean, he's a very active guy. You know, he's very disruptive, gets some some steals going, so it'll be fun to watch him. But it's, it's Lat Mayan. I'm trying to, to think with him, Dave, how do you compare his play to maybe a former Husker? Because I don't know if there is one, but I'm, I'm looking at a 6'9'' dude that came out right away in that first game, makes his first two or three, three pointers. It's kind of the thing that we're wanting to see, right? A big guy that can stretch a defense and can he you know, he's playing underneath as a five on the on the defense, but on offense he's he's shooting the ball from outside.
3: Yeah, no, it'd be hard to find someone um immediately that fits that Wes Wilkerson, maybe? I don't know. I'm really stretching there. Brian Conklin? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, because uh, he's 6'9", really lanky. Actually, I've been pleasantly surprised with his all-around game. I thought maybe he was just a three-point specialist. That's all he was going to do. But he actually can play defense and and go down and and actually uh, get a few rebounds as well. So when he's on, he is really on. If he can get his feet right and get squared up at the basket, he's going to hit a lot of those shots. And so, um, you know, I, I think the Big Ten is getting film uh, now that, that they're going to have a better understanding of how they're going to try to defend us. And we'll have to continue to evolve the offense a little bit. It won't be quite as easy that first game against McNeese State when we take on um, a Wisconsin or Iowa or Michigan State top ten type teams. Mm-hmm. But a lot of promise.
2: And I think uh, it was the day before the opener where they announced that Derek Walker was going to be suspended for, like, the first 16 or 18 games or whatever. Something that was more than half of what this shortened yeah, first COVID season is going to be. Yeah, and I just think of Boomer when I was reading that, like, Boomer just saying, that's the most Nebraska ball thing that could possibly happen, right? That's the, <clears throat> that's that's the biggest Nebraska ball headline you can have. Guy gets suspended, right? Boomer, what's your take as we've made it now through the first three games, the first weekend?
0: Well, you know, it's been enjoyable to watch. At least it's generally a fun style of basketball. Uh, you know, they legit had a shot to be three and zero. You know, to start the season, Nevada was a, was a winnable game. It was there. They just a few things didn't fall for us. And you know, the next two games coming forth should be winnable. So you know, it's a nice start to a season. There's a lot of things I like to. I've seen from the team so far that I've liked. You guys have hit on a lot of it. I like the fact we have. Uh, you know, I was it five or six players the average uh, double digits a game scoring, so we have a lot more options than I think we've had in the past. Uh, We're spreading the minutes out a lot more among players. Some of that's probably just trying to find guys the right role who meshes well, but we're not solely dependent on just a handful of guys playing 30-plus minutes a game. We have a little more depth to kind of rotate some people in and out. So there's been a lot of good things to see so far in this season, and it's it's enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to see where, where it keeps going here, especially once we get to Big Ten play.
2: Yeah, and you know, to your point there, Boomer, there's been some interesting lineups. One of them where they had Mayan and Yvonne and Delano on the court at the same time. Three guys that are six, eight, or taller. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time that we really had those kind of lineups available to us too. So that's there's some interesting matchups that we can do, and we've got some some guys that can make some shots. It's it's kind of a fun game to watch right now. You know, I'm gonna hand this over to our fashion consultant and Mac, I know you had some questions about the uh the uniform selection this year uh, in this young season. Mm. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Clearly, Adidas did not get the memo about our <laughs> increased length uh, this year on our <laughs> roster because the shorts have gotten like John Stockton <laughs> short on us and uh, the shoes don't even match anything and the jerseys are ridiculously <laughs> tight and it's not that we're ridiculously big, but I'm like, I just don't understand what Adidas is trying to do. It's like they got that c- confused with our women's roster or whatever. <laughs> Do you even
0: just think they put the interns in charge of like Nebraska uniforms and alternates and stuff? It always just seems to be they wake up that morning and oh no, those uniforms are due today, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, 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 it's just it's just a bad look. It's just a bad look. We look weird out there. But you know, athletically, this team is 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 kind of interesting. Uh, Delano Banton's kind of a fascinating prospect in himself. You know, he's he's long. He's got the ability to shoot you know, a deep ball, but he's also got some ability to penetrate. He's a good passer. He's got mm. long enough length on his arms. You know, the length that we have is is making it a little bit difficult to get the ball into the paint, which is kind of nice to see for a change. Uh, we're still a little weak down low, but, and we're still pretty bad on the free throw line. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you know I'm, I'm hoping some of that stuff turns around. You, right now you can kind of see this team is sort of to learn who – how the roster gels, what lineups work best with each other. You know, if you got Webster out there going, and he's able to kind of penetrate and shoot. You yeah. got, I like him. Yeah, you know, he's he's not bad. You know, he, he's not bad. Mm. McGowan's has got the ability to be kind of a a showstopper in some ways. He's got some explosive athleticism, um, heck of a defender, and you know an alley oop threat all the time. Uh, you know, you still see with uh, Yvonne. You know he he's gotten he's gotten slimmer. He's gotten maybe just a skosh more explosive. But he still needs to finish at the basket. You know, this team is a work in progress. But when you watch the press conferences and you hear Fred talk about this team, you can hear the excitement in this team. We're, we've got active hands on defense. We're ready to run. We're finishing at the hoop. That's one thing I have. In, in transition, we are finishing at the hoop. You know, like you were saying before with uh, Teddy Allen, hasn't met a shot yet that he hasn't like taking. That kid will take it to the hoop. Yeah, he's for not some reason, He doesn't look athletic. He's kind of a. He, I would. I would put him in the husky category in terms of <laughs> I've body been type. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, we all have. He has great but, body but control, to, though, Mac. But like he, point, he put right? one high up off the glass mm-hmm. that went in, and he's he's just somehow he gets a shot off and it goes in. This team is. It's been fun to over the Thanksgiving season, and and you know the Husker loss to Iowa. It's been something to kind of dive into and enjoy. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm telling you right now, Redcasters. Yeah. I'm willing to jump on the <laughs> basketball bandwagon. I need some good feelers. Because after we lost to Iowa, it was time to decorate the house for Christmas. <laughs> and I was so down. I was like, I'm just going to let the joy of my children's Christmas spirit lift me up and try to take me out of my doldrums. And and then after that, we want to. Won a basketball game, so things were kind of turning around. So thank you, Fred Hoiberg. Thank you, uh, Doc Sadler. Thank you, Delano (laughs) Lanton. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited. Thank you, thank you. Believe in Fred, by the way, because I hit him up. I'm like, hey, 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 Bill, who do I need to look at for this team? Who's exciting? Who's who's someone I need to pay attention to? And he basically listed off like five or six guys, which is good in itself. So I'm I'm, I'm happy about this. After this baseball season? Yeah. Bolt?
3: You know, Honk, uh, <laughs> I I like Max' enthusiasm there. You know, the thing with the team that I think is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out over the season is the fact that they were picked finished 13th or 14th in the conference, right? And you, you're watching those games, to to Max' point there, and there's five or six guys you're just thinking, wow, this is a pretty good team, but I am mean, I don't know where they're going to finish in the Big Ten, but if that's the 13th best team in the Big Ten, that's going to be one heck of a conference, right?
2: Yeah, I think that the talent is is definitely there. And you mentioned the length of Delano. And I Dave, you talked about how Nevada made that three-point shot over him. I mean, that was a contested three-point shot with yeah. a, a long, lengthy 6'8 dude with his hand in, in his face. Again, that's one of those ones where you give the other team credit and just say, my gosh, you made the shot. You know, good for you. Yeah, I'm with you, Mac. You know, I was frustrated after that Iowa loss, and uh, we decided to drive to Nebraska Furniture Mart and buy a living room. Good sets. job. So that's how we deal <laughs> I mean, with it in the Honky family. All, that's how
1: we deal with. Uh, we all deal with grief differently, <laughs> you know. But it was cool to see. You know, you know, Hoiberg's always been kind of notorious for his inbound plays, and, and like I just, you finally seeing some guys who can pull the trigger on some deep shots and make those things work. And we've got some guys that can penetrate th- penetrate this year. It could be pretty fun. I, I guarantee you, we're gonna put some scare in some teams that don't that we wouldn't normally put a scare into, and like some good teams, you know. There's there's a chance to have some fun this year in a basketball setting that we haven't had in a while. Like I'm personally, I'm gonna be at the game tomorrow night. Humble brag, but you know, <laughs> I'm gonna go get to see in person, and I'm excited to do it because we've got some athleticism. And and one thing I like too is. I'm a big post game press conference uh, observer and the body language and the attitude of this team and the pressers has been good. And they, they seem to really enjoy each other and playing with each other. And we're so early in the year, like that could, p- that could play dividends going forward. And you know, in a COVID season, we don't know. I'm like, clearly in the college football year, it's been weird, right? It's been a very weird year. College football wise. There's no reason to think that couldn't, transition into the college basketball season too so who knows i mean we could we could do some damage and i'm for it you've got mail hi mailman (laughs) i can't believe i'm gonna
2: be a mailman what's in the bag a shark or something Well, as usual, we've had a lot of mailbag questions coming in, so let's get to them right away. First one, I'm going to send to Mac here. This is from Sal Vasta on Twitter, and he sent us a lot of questions, uh, about four or five of them. I'm going to try to kind of condense them as much as I can. But his first one was, why does NU have a problem dealing with talented players? We recruit these talented four stars, and then they, they don't play them for a couple of years, or while other programs of every level can find ways to get those guys on the field right away. No wonder these recruits leave. Mm. So we'll start with that, and then he kind of has a couple Mm -hmm. of follow-up ones. But your thoughts on do we have a problem dealing with these talented players?
1: I I, I get why he would say that. I I could – I could see who, who you point to and say, this guy didn't play, this guy didn't play. But I might point to a Wandel Robinson and say, yeah, he did play. And I would point to an Adrian Martinez and say, he did play. You know, like, Maurice Washington, too. Yeah. Maurice Washington. I'd say, uh, you know, a Ty Robinson. He's played. You know, that we've had guys that have played. I, I don't know that it's a Nebraska problem. I think it's more of a individual, how willing are you? Listen, because you're a four-star doesn't mean that you're a guaranteed superstar. There's an attitude, there's a work ethic, there's a desire to to learn and get better that has to go along with it. And it's easy to point the microscope at Nebraska and find all these guys that didn't work out. But I would bet that if you went to Alabama, if you went to Clemson, if you went to any other team, you'd find guys that also didn't work out. But it doesn't matter at those programs because they've got other four stars and other five stars backing them up. I get what you're saying. I'm I'm not willing to I'm not willing to say that we can't get four star talent on the on the field early in their career.
2: So to kind of follow up with that, let's get specific to offense. He asked about does Frost need to give up play calling? You know, uh, I worry that he isn't giving full attention elsewhere, and no fear of failure isn't applying to him sometimes. Um, specifically, he gets into the is this offense a run or pass? Is it pass to run? Do we need to recruit a true passing QB to make this offense work?
1: Okay, well, there's a lot there. Um, (laughs) No, I don't think he needs to give up play calling just yet. What are we on offense? We're a mess. We're an absolute mess right now on offense. We're not snapping the ball well. We're not running the ball well. We're not passing the ball well. So so do we need to (laughs) – if we had a true passing quarterback right now, we'd have no offense because the only offense we've had right now this season has been the quarterback running the ball. That being said – this last game, we went twenty-one to twenty-five for passing. So, yeah, Adrian was ninety percent by yeah. himself. So, I mean, there's, and, and Adrian, that's not the first time that's happened. You know, mm-hmm. Adrian's had good games passing before. It's, it's got to be a blend. It's got to be, and it's got to be efficiency, and there's a lot of things that go into that. There's, listen, the, the funny thing about this team is when it, when it all comes crashing down, it seems to happen almost all over the place. Special teams, yeah. defense running game, passing game, wide receivers, tight ends, inside line. You know, like it goes all over the place. Um so no, I don't I don't know that we need to get a true passing quarterback. And if that was the case, we would have kept Tristan Jebia and, and been fine. You know, mm-hmm. we he that you need a dual threat quarterback to make this offense potent because you have to respect that zone read.
2: Yeah. Well and I think you brought up a good point too with the snaps. I mean it's every play starts with that snap. Yeah. And we've seen enough of them Low, high, someone's clapping and we're snapping it too quickly, whatever it is, you can't have a good play if it doesn't start off right at the beginning, right? And I think that leads into the offensive line. And that's our next question from Jack Erke. And uh, he mailed that to us at our Go Big Redcast at Gmail inbox. And Dave, he said, How did our offensive line go from being the supposed strength of the offense with returning starters, young talent, to our Achilles heel? And, you know, he talks about all this the holding, the false starts, and the bad snaps, the blown protections. So he's wondering about the issues that we have there. I guess I'll just leave it at, at that to you. It's, has it become our our Achilles heel or is it just maybe not meeting this high expectation that we had coming into the season?
3: I'll I'll leave Boomer to answer a Greek mythology there, I guess. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think it was our hope that it was going to be a strength of the offense. I don't know if it was proven as of last year, right? And we felt there was going to be a lot deeper. And that still probably plays out a little bit, um, because we have seen, um, a couple of different guys come in and play guard and, and et cetera. So there's more depth on that line, but they have struggled at times. There is no doubt. I mean, and that's a bit of the youth movement, right? We, we intentionally moved Matt Farniak, who was established as a tackle, um, into guard. And that, that is different, right? And maybe we underestimated how hard it is to transition from tackle to guard. But he has missed some assignments, a very important one there in that last drive um, against Iowa that, that cost a, a big sack and turnover. And Ben Hart has been called for holdings. Uh, Juergens has been called for holdings. Piper had the, I think, false start. So all those guys are really young. Um, ben Hart and Piper have barely played. Um, typically yeah. in a normal normal season, because huh? this would be the second game into the Big Ten season. Right? Uh, you know, we we would have had three non cons, and then this, and 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 you know, we'd be just expecting Ben Hart to be rounding into shape, right? He's a redshirt freshman, so um, maybe we overestimated um, how quick some of these young guys would come along, and also maybe overplayed ourselves a little bit with moving some position guys around. It has been um, a bit of a problem, especially in this last game. Um, let's see if they can redeem themselves over the next three, though, right? I mean, we can see progress. The year's not over yet, and um, uh, we can hopefully maybe establish a better run game, which would then just make everything easier for, for the rest of the, the offense to work.
2: Yeah, I mean, Piper has clearly – taken over a guard spot in front of guys like Bo Wilson and Hickson that are veteran players that had many starts before him. It's crazy how, you know, for many years, four years, we heard how Farniak's natural position is guard. It's it's so natural. And just looking at him there, to me, I don't know that he looks any more natural at guard than he did at tackle. And that can be for a number of reasons. I mean, it it is a transition, but it hasn't been the big success, I think, that we were hoping it would be. And that's through five games, so, you know, there's – Still games to be played there. But this went from being this extremely experienced line, all every returning starter from a year ago, and you do look at it right now, and it's two redshirt freshmen and Juergens playing as a redshirt sophomore right now. It, it's become a young line all of a sudden, which there goes the youth thing again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... Let's uh, go to the next question from Douglas Taverdi and uh, you referenced him earlier, Mac. He likes to send us some very detailed, long emails, and, and we appreciate it, <laughs> Doug. You keep sending those. We appreciate them. Uh, this one was a long one, too. He gave us a lot of examples, but this is for Boomer. And uh, the subject line here to our Red at Gmail inbox was, Frost is running out of time. Unfortunately, Frost is running out of time. If a coach is going to have a winning record at a school, he almost always does it by year three. Very rarely does it happen after that. I looked around and got some historical and current coaches, all the the current Big Ten coaches first, and I really wanted Frost to work, but unless he wins out this year, the odds of him being successful here in you are small. I think maybe you get a little bit of an asterisk for 2020, but I don't think coaches... Maybe. Huh? <laughs> Just maybe. <laughs> but I don't think coaches won't use this type of info against them in recruiting. And he gave a whole long list of guys that hadn't had success. So Boomer, you're kind of our statistician guy too. Your thoughts on is he running out of time? How much do you give this as maybe a year of being weird too? Is this truly a year three? How, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, uh, some of this you know, kind of ties into the, the things you guys were talking about earlier. You know, You're certainly not going to make any rash coaching moves at this point. It is year three. You're not going to fire a coach at any point. But I do kind of tend to agree with him. I think you've got a fairly limited window as a head coach in the modern era to show that you're making improvements in a program. And by modern era, I'm just saying, you know, mid-90s to now, you know, things are a lot different than they were in the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, as far as football goes. You know, he gave quite a few examples of, of coaches that, you know, took over programs and how soon they got to winning records. And Almost all of them were under three to four years that seems to be about that window you start seeing improvements in in programs by about year three for most things you know I was kind of scanning Twitter and I'd see people say you know you look at somebody like Dabo Swinney and you know he had to take time to improve the program yeah I mean, he had a 6-7 and seven season in his third year, but they, he's going to a bowl every year he's been there. Some people are brought up like uh, Alvarez at Wisconsin. Yeah, he took over a bad program. He was 1-10 and in, in his first year. He was 5-6 and six his next two years, but by his fourth year, he was in the Rose Bowl. They were 10-1-1. One one. Uh, Kirk Ferentz came up. He took over a bad team. He was 1-10 that first year. 3-9 and nine next, 7-5, and 11-2 his fourth year in the Orange Bowl. You need to start seeing progress, I think, by years 4 and 5. Yeah, because if you don't, I think the challenge then becomes that whole recruiting end of it. What do you sell at this point? It's just that, that's where I think is your make or break time. Because if, if by year four and five you're not clearly seeing wins, I think that's where the real problem is. Because how do you sell a kid that's coming out of high school and all he's ever seen your program be is unsuccessful? And I think that's probably where that kind of cutoff is. And that's why year four. You know, the next year for Frost is key. You, you've got to show some sort of improvement. I think you've got to be making. You've got to be winning these games that we all say we should win.
1: Would you say Frost is on the hot seat then?
0: Not this year, no. But I think by next year, if we're still having these same conversations, it starts coming up. in In two years, if we're still doing this, yes.
1: But you would still say he was the right guy for the
0: job. I think he was the best hire you could make at the time. He was the smart hire. He was the ones that right. fans wanted, and he had success at UCF, so there was nothing wrong with the hire, just sometimes they don't work out, and that's what it is. I was trying to think of this earlier. Hey, can you guys think of a coach, like, say, from the mid-90s till now, that took longer than, say, four years to turn a program around? And I don't mean, like, taking a Duke from, you know, three wins to a six-win team consistently. Somebody that's taken a bad team or a questionable team and turned them around, but it took them longer than, you know, five or six years. Can you think of any?
1: Well, I just, I I think... It's difficult when you talk geographically. If you're ta- if you're taking us, if you're taking a team like say on the coasts or in the south, where the, the recruiting hotbeds are a little bit bigger, versus when you're talking about Nebraska, which was a traditional blue blood, but has a geographical maybe disadvantage because of where we are in America. I don't I don't know. I well, don't know but then I, I, I look at
0: somebody like Matt Campbell. I mean, he was three and nine his first year at Iowa State. He's had eight win seasons years two and three. I mean that's not a recruiting hotbed. I mean, no how, good is the
1: big, so, how good is yeah. the Big Twelve though?
0: Well, again, I mean how good is Iowa State? I mean No, but how good you know, is the Big Twelve? Yeah
1: how good is the big 12 when they get boat raced in the in the in the college football playoffs well, they do. by yeah. everybody so it's like how good is the big 12 versus how good is the big 10 i mean that's i mean if we were in the big 12 right now would we be doing better would frost well, be doing better in the big 12 that's there's that I becomes a
2: whole different argument yeah. too yeah
1: agreed but when I, my point is iowa states having a pretty good run right now i would grant you that but i mean i just don't know that it, we we talk about Nebraska being unique all the time, and yet we use these overlying stats to apply to us, and then say we're running out of time. Yeah. I don't I don't know that I bu- I don't know that I buy into that, and I also think it's a dangerous game to play, which we've already been playing for the longest time.
3: You know, um, I think uh, Doug actually in that email mentioned that Shiano, and his first time at Rutgers took five years to finally get them. Uh, over the hump so and 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 honestly boomer you just mentioned that i mean it was the fourth year for alvarez fourth year for France fourth year for for Dabo that made a big change so you could say that we're still still there and hey we could potentially still um be 500 or above this year so let's not not give up on, right on right year i mean three. yeah
0: there's time but you need to start seeing that. i think that improvement here but
3: i Super. well so, yeah. I, I would guess that the one thing i would just add here one other thing Honky, and I'll throw it to you, is, um, that I, I think recruiting wise, the, the switch, and this was Frost's very first year, moving it from February to December, made that 2018 class a bit more of a throwaway class. We, we lost a class there that we, in a year before that, he would have had two months to save that class, and he really didn't. And that, I think, has a big impact, and I, I would like to see, all the coaches that are trying to transition from that year um, and mm-hmm. and how that slowed the development of their program, I guess. So I, I, yeah. I think there's a lot of factors here.
2: We're not even in a full year three. This is absolutely a weird year. It's an asterisk year anyways, but at the end of the day, he needs to win now. He needs to win this weekend against Purdue, who he's gone 0-2 against. We aren't losing games right now because of recruiting. We're not losing games because of uh, – we're losing games because we're dropping punts and we're snapping the ball bad and – and we're making some very fixable you know, errors, and I don't care if it's in the Big Ten or the Big 12 or whoever. I don't even care about the conference right now. That's not winning football. When you have nine turnovers against Illinois in two years, you're going to lose to Illinois, and Illinois would be bad in any conference. And so that's a problem that has to get fixed. But I absolutely believe that we're seeing the progress. He's doing the right things. Mm. At some point, doing the right things have to show up on the – on the scoreboard. And if they don't, I don't know that we can keep having this conversation in year four and
1: five. I don't have my phone with me, so I can't look it up as I'm asking this. But Jim Harbaugh, year three at Michigan, what was his record?
2: He was winning nine, ten games, at least those first
1: however many games. But he was just Presumably never. Presumably successful.
2: But never getting over the hump, never beating. Never getting never over
1: the hump of Ohio State. Well, which or, is a big Mich-
2: hump. or Michigan State, or even Penn State I think I mean he had losing records against all these teams. Yeah,
0: year 3 he was 8 and, eight five. and 5 he went 10 and 3 yeah. 10, 10, 10 and 3 10 8, 10 and, 10 5, 8 and, and 5 10 and, and, 5. 10 and, and, and 3 look, he's showing and look, he's let's be three years. And let's yeah. be
1: very clear. And now he's on the hot seat. Well, there's 2 and
0: 4, that doesn't help.
1: Yeah. Let's be very clear about
2: where Frost was to taking this over. The lowest point I've seen Nebraska football in my lifetime was 2017. We were not competitive against teams we were getting boat raced every single time. We looked like we gave up in games. You watch Iowa 2017 and you watch Iowa 2020 against Nebraska and you tell me if you've seen progress or not. Okay. But at the end of the day, we need wins now. We need wins. It just, we flat we out need wins. need wins. We need wins to show that the progress that's being made is actually real. Because at some point, if you just keep losing, even though you've you've got these in-state recruits and even though you've built the strength and conditioning up, if you keep losing, it loses that momentum and that value. We are in year three right now; it's an asterisk year. We are nowhere close to what some of the stuff Boomer was saying. Where we're you know, it's it's gone too far. Look, he's going to get as much well, time as he needs here, and if he doesn't he, have success, if he doesn't win, it will be on him. Even if you point coach, to recruiting
1: but, momentum, even if you point to that as like a as a The reason that we're not getting more successful, well, we've already lost how many four or five or four stars that we from the classes that we might have had recruiting momentum based off his UCF uh, reputation. So it's like, I don't even know. I'm like, I don't know what the recruiting momentum is going to actually – we've got to start winning games by showing that we're a disciplined team that can execute our game plan throughout the – quarters yeah. of ball. It's amazing. Like, once that happens, then we'll know what our baseline is. We do not know what our baseline is yeah. with this coaching staff based on a team that knows how to play ball. That's the thing. If Frost doesn't fix the disciplined part of this team,
2: then in year four and five, to Boomer's point, he will be correct. Yeah, Because but, if, we, if, we, but if we're if not disciplined, recruiting any
1: better than Northwestern, but yeah. we were executing as well as Northwestern,
2: we'd That's still be better. Disciplined football would win in the Big Ten like it would win in the Big 12, like it would win in any conference. And when we're not playing disciplined football, we will lose in the Big Ten, we would lose in the Big 12, we would lose in the Mountain West if we're not playing disciplined football. I love the people that come to me and say the Big Ten so damn good. Well, geesh, we got beat two years in a row by Colorado and they were bottom feeders in their conference. And we don't give the Pac-12 a lot of respect. That was with Mel Tucker as a first-time coach. He's very right? good. You know, we lost to to <laughs> Troy. Granted, we were down to our eighth-string quarterback. I think you know Mel well, Tucker's beaten some teams. We have, so. <laughs> so the point is, it, it's not about the conference. It's not. A, it's really not about the opponents. When you make the amount of errors and unforced errors. Nobody on Iowa made a guy snap the ball bad. Unless, I guess, the guy on the sideline clapping. Maybe that guy did. The twelfth, oh, really? How the mad do you get did. at
1: me when I clap early in the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> super mad. You've all heard him get nobody, mad at me. Nobody
2: on Iowa made the guy drop the punt, right? I mean, <laughs> at some point, unforced have to stop. Uh, let's move on to 2021. Uh, Ranch LLC from Instagram said, let's get to 2021. So we appreciate that. One of our Instagram followers there. Next question is from a repeat uh, mailbagger, Gilf. And uh, his subject was big plays. Dave, since we've been nearly anemic with big plays this year, what run was better, in your opinion, despite win or loss of the game? The Eric Crouch eluding a sack in the end zone to go 95 yards against Mizzou in in 2001? Or T-Magic going 76 yards against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship blowout? He goes, I personally loved watching Martinez run the ball, but winced every time he dropped a pass.
3: Yeah, I would go with crouch on that one i mean obviously a more successful team and, and a more impactful um performance uh i did like the martinez run but we were already getting blown out at that point so that was kind of bittersweet to to even see that right so i mean i think it's a mm. no-brainer i'd go with crouch against missouri
2: that wisconsin game's crazy because two of the biggest plays you see all the time the Martin that martinez run and, and then kenny of course bells. kenny bells yeah. you know decleting block that was a 15 yard penalty and took away a touchdown. Uh those two you see all the time, but you never want to see the score that's in the bottom corner because it's you know we were getting blown out pretty good at that time. I think clearly um Mark, you know Crouch's run uh, Mac every time we've gone to the Heisman room and uh, you get to watch the Crouch uh, piece you mm-hmm. know that that runs on a Heisman, yeah. you know real
1: so that's a pretty easy one it's, for me. Yeah, it's not that comparable to me, but but I appreciate the question.
2: Uh, Mac, next question from Facebook, Jared Segner. Why has the no fear of failure left this team? We look scared out there, especially on offense. I think that maybe Frost needs to think about taking a step back from the play calling. We had that kind of question mm-hmm. earlier and let someone else call the plays. He looks overwhelmed and then he can focus on everything else as a whole. Kind of take the CEO kind of approach. Mm-hmm. I guess, what are your thoughts on that?
1: No. No. I think he should keep calling the plays. I, I, I've seen him call plays that would work had we executed them. Yeah. Now, now if that means if if him not calling those plays meant that during practice we learned to, to execute those plays perfectly, then I'm on board. But I don't know that that one equals the other, right? So I'm seeing play calls that would work if we just blocked X. Player, or just made this one pass, or we saw this one guy running open. I've seen Frost call really good plays that we simply are not completing, executing, running. I don't think Frost play calling is necessarily the issue. Now there have been times where you know he's gotten questions and press conferences about a defensive play, and he's like, "No, I didn't see that because I was talking with the offense." And sometimes that's frustrating as a fan for the head coach not to know what's going on. Sure. but I just, I just don't know. It's it's frustrating. It's 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 a gr- it's a good question because you'd like to have, you'd like to have a head coach having his his hand in all of it. But you know, at the at the point that we are with with the Frost tenure, uh, no, I don't want him doing that yet. I just don't. I feel yeah. like I feel like he's probably the best play caller as far as the coaching staff goes. We just need to execute the plays he's calling first, and then if we are and they're not working, then we need to make a move. Yeah, out.
2: it's not the first time I've heard that question. It's been asked to the Spurrier and Osborne, those guys that yeah. have tried to do both, tried to be the coordinator and the the head coach. Not everyone can do it. Solich did it for the first four or five years, and then it was in year six when he handed that over to Barney Cotton for the first time. Oh, I wow. mean, not every coach does it. Not every you know, not every coach tries to do it. So. That's one of those feeling-out things, too. I think that's important, too, is Frost. I've heard some people say that, you know, he's he wasn't prepared for this or this was too big of a job and he's learning on the job. Okay, fine. Then we just paid for him to learn on the job for the last three years. Why would, why would you give that up? Why would you pay for someone's learning experience and then let him go off? And hey, Frost is going to be a good coach and a successful coach in his career. He's young, and he's going to be successful whether it's here or not. I He wants to be here, and I think that he's – He's learning a lot of valuable lessons right now, and and we've got to give him a chance to kind of navigate. He's, he's through been it. a
1: part of successful teams as a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach. It, it's not like he's lost the ability sure. to identify what good play is. Yeah. So I, I just think that gets overstated. Like, oh, the the game's gotten too big for him. Yeah. You know, he's the head coach now. It's the Big Ten. It's completely different. I understand that argument to an extent, but. You're talking about a guy who's dedicated his life to football. I just, I'm not buying that. Just, yeah. To... I'll go back to one other
2: question that we had in Boomer. It was the one about the, the how long should a coach have? And just think of the school that we just played, Iowa. They've had two coaches since 1979. In, bo- in both cases, very different scenarios. Hayden Fry took over a horrible Iowa situation in the 70s. And obviously, it took him a couple years to get things going. And then he built them up to where they're winning Rose Bowls, they're having a lot of success. And by the end of his career, he left them in a very bad spot, similar to what Frost took over. And guess what? You get Ferentz comes in, and Mm -hmm. he fixes them, but it takes the two or three years. They only won one game one of those first years, and three wins the next year, right? And he gets them to where they won a bunch of games three, four years in a row. And then guess what happens about year 10, 12, whatever it was? They go 4-8. and Mm -hmm. Did Iowa fire the guy right after going 4-8? and No. And guess what? It's probably a pretty good thing, because look at Iowa's record, and – Look, they haven't won titles and that would be the first thing that Nebraska fans would love to to get snarky with them at. But in terms of winning games, especially by Iowa standards, they've won a ton of games since that four and eight season. And so the point is we just we love to fire coaches, man. That's become Nebraska's thing since two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Um we gotta stick with something. And we're sticking with someone who cares deeply about this place, he's doing the right yeah. things,
1: it will show up. This is not a hot seat podcast. No at all.
2: But it is a hot drink podcast, Ooh. and this last question goes to you, Boomer, who is in charge of our hashtag Redcast on the Rocks, and this is from Ken McCone on Facebook, and he says, after catching crap for my non-question last week, I guess he, well, he threw something us on the mailbag, I guess we, get, we threw him some crap, sorry, Ken, but he goes, here's what's on my mind today, what should I drink for the game on Saturday, bourbon, beer, or both? Boomer? Well, I mean, the the easy
0: throwaway question is, we're playing the Purdue Boilermakers, so you Drink both, uh, you know, beer and a bourbon. I mean, that's an that's an easy cop out answer, but uh, just off the top of my head, uh, there, there's no reason to be that simple. Uh, actually, rye and wheat beer pairs pretty nicely together. You can make a nice uh, breakfast cocktail with something like that. Some, uh, I would say, uh, you know, about an ounce and a half of rye. You can add some wheat beer to to your tastes, and then. Maybe a little lemon juice, and I would probably try a few extra bitters of some sort, or maybe even like a ginger syrup. I think you could have a pretty nice little uh, morning cocktail there for yourself. So don't don't limit yourself to just one thing. Thinking you have to have one of the other,
1: experiment. That's what that's what the Red Cast on the Rocks is all about. What do your cabinets look like that you have? Just ah, oh, just throw a couple of bitters in there, maybe a <laughs> mint leaf, and uh...
0: I I grow my own herbs. I've got some bitters on hand. I, I make my own bitters. Why don't time. you invite yeah. the rest of the red
1: cast over to drink? You well, just, I would you if you it wasn't these these this, this little
0: pandemic thing going on.
1: Oh, yeah. whatever. I'll mask up. I've got yeah. I've got rapid tests at my disposal.
2: <laughs> I've been to Max and Dave, and Dave lives in another state. I've been yeah. to both of their houses. I haven't been to yours. Come on. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I obey the directed health measures for the county, so there we go.
2: <laughs> Good man, Boomer. Well, Dave, that's the mailbag.
3: All right, guys. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here with some predictions and parting shots. I'll start with uh, with Boomer with a prediction.
0: Yeah, Purdue's looked okay at times this year. They've struggled at others. Brahms kind of had frost number the last couple seasons they've played him. Watching that second half against Rutgers looks like uh, mobile quarterbacks were kind of their nemesis. And, you know, Mr. Argyle's sweaters strain, I think we kind of know what, what he can do, which is, you know, fail utterly on defense. So I feel okay this week. Just, you know, we need to get a win, so here's our chance. So I'm going to say Nebraska 28,
1: Purdue 24. All right, sounds good. Mac. Yeah, I feel like uh, Adrian or... Luke will probably call up Noah and get the the, the down (laughs) low on what it was that needed to... Well, Noah
2: didn't play in the game last week. But
1: he'll see the strain. He'll see where to strain the defense. And it's like the uh, snake said to the aardvark, if you get on my back and I sting you and we drown in a pool of sand, uh, that's because I'm a snake or whatever... His convoluted message was to his defensive team that didn't understand what Bob Diaco said as he held his lapel mic up to his mouth and spit in it. So uh, I'm going with Nebraska. We'll go 36, Purdue,
0: 24. Even P.J. Fleck thinks those anecdotes are nuts, you know?
1: (laughs) Why aren't they a team? <laughs> Why isn't Bob Diago PJ oh, Flex?
0: That would be body? that would be outstanding, wouldn't it? Oh, that has oh. to
3: happen somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. All right, Honk, prediction.
2: This team is due for a win, and I think that we'll get it this week. I love the bravado to come out and say we're gonna win fifty-one to three or something like well, that. But that sounds, sounds very much like me, but uh everything I've seen is that we will cap ourselves somewhere right around the twenty eight to thirty-two point and Hopefully we can keep them in the 17 to 24 points. So I'm going to do a nice even number here. 30 to 20. Win by 10.
1: Yay! All right.
3: right. Yeah, I I do think if our offense can get to 30 points, we win games. We got to 30 once this year and we won that game and we failed to get there. Math checks out, Dave.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) yeah. So uh, I'll I'll say we're going to get to 30 again this week. Uh, I'll I'll go uh, 31-30 Nebraska over uh, the Boilermakers. I'd like to see a 10 point victory like Honk, but I don't, I'll believe that when I see it. All right, uh, let's get out of here with our, our final parting shots. We'll go with Boomer. Okay, well, I
0: guess, you know, my parting shot, it's just, uh, just another one of the, you know, kind of annoying things that's happened this whole season with all the other, you know, tragedies and problems of the sport. You know, just uh, Michael Penix Jr. tearing his ACL. You know, Indiana's been yeah. having a really good season for the Hoosiers, and just to see him. You know, miss out on a chance. I mean, there's a possibility they might play for the, the Big Ten Championship if, if Ohio State doesn't get another game in. And it's just, you know, for a team like Indiana, that's a big thing. And, you know, a quarterback there, it, it's I hate to see that happen. And hope he gets better and comes back from that quickly.
1: Mac. I don't know how many of you got a chance to watch the uh, Roy Jones Jr. and Tyson fight, but that part's not as important as going on Twitter and looking at the the Nate Robinson memes after that dude got smoked. <laughs> Those are some of the best memes going right now. Uh, Twitter was merciless to him. So if you're looking for a chuckle, and I was, after <laughs> after this weekend, you're going to find it. So dig in on that. You'll, you'll enjoy the heck out of it. I just wonder what
0: sort of state sanctions fights like that. I mean, my God, I know boxing has gone downhill for years, but gee, many Christmas. What are you doing there? Was that in California, I, mean, I think? Yeah, I mean. 2020,
3: man. Mm, I guess.
2: You can fight anybody.
3: <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, Honk, what do you got, man?
2: Uh, I just want to say thanks to the people that gave us some feedback last week on our tribute to Sidetrack Joyce. Um, also want to thank the people that let us know that it's not Sidetrack Bar. That's Sidetrack Tavern. And yes, we know that. But uh, by the end of these shows, some of us can barely speak clearly anyways, let alone get the words right. So, yes, it was the Sidetrack Tavern. But the main point was that the – that we wanted to get across was that sidetrack Joyce. We wanted to give her a nice tribute there. And, there and is a we- bar
1: in there. <laughs> so, you know, okay, technicalities. Yeah.
2: Well, sidetrack, sidetrack. Jack always got uh, us on no, that. I can't
1: believe he didn't hit me up this week. Yeah. Clearly, he's not listening after a loss. I get
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> we understand, Jack.
3: Alright, good stuff, guys. Uh, let's get out of here and call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Redcast. A makers
2: Media Production.